And yet God's blessed us with this building. Um, he's blessed us in, in so many different ways as far as with all the work that's taking place and various ministries, the Hallelujah Harvest Festival, which will be on Tuesday. And I, I think one of the greatest things there is just watching everybody serve together, just every, making a light for everybody because everybody's doing something and we're all serving together. And think about being like a little kid and... Uh, all my friends would go trick-or-treating and bring bags of candy home, and I never went trick-or-treating. I, we didn't do that. Um, but we had a church event that we had called the Hallelujah Party, and all I remember is thinking, like, my friends got nothing on us. Like, like we, we, our thing is so cool. Like, growing up as a kid, just like, it is so cool what we do together as a church. And what I did has got nothing on this. Like, it, it, it's amazing to see what takes place. The whole parking lot, like, it's nuts. It's, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible to see what God does during that event. Um, there's free food. Everything's free. All kinds of different petting, like petting zoo, pony rides, all kinds of inflatables, all kinds of different booths and corn on the cob and chili dogs and chili cook-off and all kinds of stuff that takes place. It literally looks like, like it's a massive production that takes place. If you've never come, like, trust me, it is, you'll come. And it's massive. There's cars that go all the way up the street there, all the way to Bertola Plaza. There's people that are just, it's just crazy what takes place. Here's a, just a, if you want to be on the inside, you, if you look and you're like, I got to walk like a mile to get there, suggestions you, go park across Los Lisos on the other side and then just walk up the back path. There's not a path, make one. There's like a path, just <laughs> go up the back way and you'll get here 10 times faster if you come and you're late and your kids are crying. Just tell them that you know a secret shortcut but there's it's just amazing to see what takes place here on on that day on this upcoming tuesday and our kids are going to be blessed but it is going it's an outreach to our community many of you are here because of that event and it gives us an incredible opportunity to minister the love of christ to our community in a free event that's a blessing to them so invite your friends come serve um and uh and there's still some needs, so if you want to help give towards it, it's, it's a costly thing that the church does to do it for free, but it's a blessing. So if you'd like to bless with that, it'd be wonderful. That's, that's first. The second thing is this, is as of last night, um, it became totally, completely official that uh, Reverence Bible Church and our leadership within this church is now the board of directors. We now own and control Camp Oakhurst completely. Um, some of you are sitting there just going, what meanest thou? And so I'm going to explain it a little bit so you have some idea of what that means. There's a camp that is about 15 miles from the entrance of Yosemite National Park at the same elevation as Bass Lake. If you've ever been there, it's like, it's, it's amazing. And, and it, it, it sleeps 300 people um, it sits on 173 acres. This is what it looks like. It's, it's pine trees, cedar trees, oak trees. Um, there's 34 different structures that are on there. That's Bass Lake. You don't get to see it from the camp. I wish we could, but you could drive there in a few minutes. Um, you're, you're looking at, at Yosemite and, and where it is. I mean, it's just literally like one of the most beautiful places in the world. There's deer all over the property. There's wild turkeys all over the property. There's hiking paths all over the place throughout the, the, this entire camp. Um, 
you go through and and that's a main lodge where everybody will eat there's these grass areas that are around a little water fountain and pond that's there um, there's different lodges like this one there's several different lodges that where people are able to sleep and uh and each one of these has a design for different numbers of people um we uh we have several of these chalet lodges where fam- families can go in or they they hold i think maybe a dozen people um playgrounds and and uh these are like little alpine lodges. They have canvas sides, and our goal is to take those canvas sides and, as a church, volunteer and go up there and make them wood sides so that we can use them during the winter because we have 14 of them, and it would increase the number of people that could go to the camp by about 150 during the winter. Um, that's just one of the other meeting areas that are there and one of the cabins. All the cabins have bunk beds that are in them, and uh, it's designed to, have a, to be a youth camp. Currently, there's people coming throughout the year. The budget, they, last year I brought in about $575,000. And uh, it's short. We need to be able to make up for it this year and then hopefully bring in more people and cut some costs and make it so that we can do everything we can to break even. Um, but there's lots to be done there. It's an outdoor eating area that's there that's netted off and, and uh, main assembly area that's there. Um, there's three different amphitheaters within the property. There's one that's a big one um, with a big fire pit down at the bottom. Uh, there's a, uh, a soccer field because every place should have a soccer field. And, um, <laughs> and it's just fun. We have all kinds of different activities that take place there. But you, you look, there's, there's archery, there's vol- sand volleyball, there's a gigantic paintball course, there's a 200-foot water slide there's a giant swing that takes you like 80 feet up in the air and shoots you down, and, and uh, just incredible. There's um, a basketball court. There's frisbee golf, horseshoes. Um, there's all kinds of different activities that, that take place at the camp, and it's just a blast. I mean, there's high ropes course like right here. There's low ropes course. There's a gigantic climbing wall where you can come at it from all different directions and uh, there's a swimming pool that's gigantic it's huge i mean it's like a high school size swimming pool that's there that the kids have a blast in and and uh and there's the climbing wall and and you may look at this and it may be overwhelming because you look and think like that is a lot of work and that is a lot of work there's a lot that takes place there um they have bikes for like doing like that is one of the activities and and uh and there's, there's a, a gaga pit. Kids all know what that is. None of us do. But they play a game in that. Um, and uh, and it's, it's just an absolutely amazing facility. They, we owe on it $297,000. Um, and it's worth, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, it would be a, a, a few million at least. And so it becomes a huge asset for the church as well. Um, and a, an incredible blessing for the church. But it's something where we, we didn't ask for this. This wasn't something where it's like, how do we figure out how to get a camp? Like, this is something that we're just striving for. We want a camp. And th- that's not the case. It wasn't, we, we, it was something where the Lord orchestrated things and made it so that it came about um, where I was on the, I'm on the board for this camp and they were looking at like, what do we do with the camp? There was people that had been board members for a long time, and, and they had come to a place of, we just maybe need something else to do with it. And I said, our church would be interested in 
taking over the camp if you guys would be interested in doing that. And we went from that to within that one meeting just a little over a month ago to currently today. We, um, our board members are now the, well, the majority of our board members are the board members for Camp Oakhurst. And, uh, and it's all within and under our church. And so when you look at it, this is your camp. It's your camp. And it's there up 15 miles for the entrance to Yosemite. When you think of different places as far as like, let's go to the mountains. If you've never been to Yosemite, this is just an absolutely amazing, amazing area. It is gorgeous. It's just beautiful. And, and it, it's someplace where we will have campers come in throughout the entirety of the year. And we will use it for the proclamation of the gospel. We will use it to minister and build up the saints. We will use it to make disciples and for God's glory. And it belongs to the Lord. It is his, and he's entrusted it to us. And I pray that there is just great enthusiasm amongst our congregation for what he has accomplished for us. And may we use it for his glory. And so um, that's kind of a big announcement, right? It's a big one. It's a big one. Let's go. If you're new to our church, don't think this happens every week, okay? Like, this is like, this is a big deal. This is definitely a big deal for Reverence Bible Church, and we praise the Lord for it. Um, Now, from here, let's get into God's Word. This is a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your provision for our church. We thank you first and foremost for the saints that are here, those that belong to our church, those that have been gifted in a myriad of different ways for the building up of the rest of the body, for the proclamation of the gospel. And you've brought them here for a very specific purpose, and it's for your glory and for our good and to shine brightly in this land and throughout the world. We thank you for missionaries like Melissa and Vincent and their families who serve in Midigo, Uganda. And we thank you for those that are serving in other parts of the world. And we thank you for those that will be serving this upcoming Tuesday here at the church and those that continue to minister to our kids across the way and here within our body. We praise you, Lord. You're so good to us. You're so kind to us. We thank you for this camp 173 acres, Lord. All that you have done in wanting to use it for your glory, who are we that you give it to us? And yet you do it because you want your name to be exalted in that place and for the gospel and for you, Christ our Lord, to be the center of that camp. Cause that to happen through us, Lord. Be with us now as we study your word. On a Sunday that marks the 500th anniversary to the Reformation, may we, on this day, understand the worth of what took place, the preciousness of the gospel. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You are all familiar with the name Martin Luther. But let's try to imagine being him for, for a little bit. Martin Luther grew up, and he 
someone who, growing up as, as, as a child, the, the idea of death scared him more than anything. The idea of what would happen to him after he died, it just it petrified him. He, he, would, he would look upon the, the stained glass windows within the church and just shudder, just knowing who he was, knowing his failures, and thinking of, how do I please a God like this? And as a, as, as a, as a young man, as a child, he was there in his teenage years coming home from school, and there was this violent storm that... that was taking place and lightning struck right next to him and he fell off his horse to the ground and it just terrified him he cried out saint Anne, help me and i will become a monk and he lived through it and so on august 17th of 1505 he entered the monastery of the augustinian hermits at erfurt 21 years old. And he said that he entered into this convent in an effort to save his soul. That's all he wanted. He said, I'm going to go into this convent because I want to save my soul. I have to do something. And he gave everything that he had to being a monk. Everything. He would wake up at one in the morning for prayer, for work, for reading. He fasted regularly. He prayed for hours and hours and hours every day. He would spend sometimes six hours, frequently six hours a day, confessing sins of the previous day. Six hours, just trying to go through his mind. What else did I do? What else did I do? Well, what else do I need to confess? It it, it came to a, a place where the priests of the convent would say, don't come back here until you have something that's worth confessing. And yet in his mind, it's all worth confessing. I, I've sinned in just grievous ways. I sin all the time. And so it's just six hours a day thinking of all the ways in which he sinned and how I can be okay. Some of you may, maybe have had similar struggles where it's just you went to a church in which it was just like, I better walk that aisle every Sunday and just make sure I'm all right with God because this last week hasn't been great. And there was no security in salvation. It was largely based on what you have done, what you're currently doing, it was all based on your performance. And that's where he was at, it just at, a, at even a higher level as far as I'll be a monk and I'll confess six hours a day. And that's how he lived. Luther was taught that he could satisfy God's demands of righteousness by doing good works. But, but, but in thinking about that, he said, what works? What works can come from a heart like mine? How can I stand before the holiness of my judge with works polluted in their very source? What works do I have? What what do I have to bring before God? I got nothing. Here he is being a monk, praying and confessing six hours a day, reading and working and giving himself entirely to the monastery. And he's still saying, like, I got nothing. What do I give to a holy God? It was destroying him. He's doing everything he can, he could possibly do according to the Roman Catholic Church to do what was necessary to please God. He made a pilgrimage 
to Rome. And, and in being there, he went up the, the stairs of the, the Scala Sancta, the Holy Stairs, and they would go up on their knees. And with each step, they would pray. There were stains that were on the, the, the stairs, and they, they were said to be caused by the bleeding wounds of Christ. And a person would bend over and kiss each one of the steps before going up to the next one. And people were assured the remission of years of punishment in purgatory if they would do this exercise. But just prior to this, he started reading Scripture. And it, it started changing him as far as the way that he thought, the way that he was viewing things. And he, so he said that he was going up the stairs and he's saying that the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And he's going up the stairs saying, like, I live by fear. But God says, live by faith. And he would say, but I live by fear. And amongst the most religious of the time, being there in Rome, he said, surely hell must be built there right under Rome. Just wickedness that was there. Those that were supposed to be the most righteous, he saw that they were not. Sin, there was sin all around. But God worked in just incredible ways in his life through the precious word of Scripture. At this particular time, know that people didn't read the Bible. Um, You had to be able to to, to read it, and it wasn't written in the common languages. And so those that were of the religious orders would read. But Luther, as he was reading Scripture, found that what religion was teaching at that time was not what was being found in the pages of Scripture. And so 500 years ago, this week, on October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther went to the castle church at Wittenberg and nailed up his famous 95 thesis on that door in response to the works that had been added to salvation by the church. And that time when he did that marks 500 years ago this week. So we are here this morning to think about why did that matter? The conclusions that he came to and what he found in the pages of Scripture, why did it matter? Why does it matter to us this morning? He wrote that, nailed it to that door, but it cost him much. He was excommunicated from the church by Pope Leo X in January of 1521. He was called on April 17th of 1521, four o'clock, to be brought before the Imperial Diet at Worms, and, and, and he was fearful. Here's this man that's supposed to go against everybody else. He's there before these people, the emperor, pope, the religious leaders. Big stack of books were brought before Luther, and he was asked, do you, Martin Luther, recognize these books published under your name as your own? Are you prepared to recant them 
recant what you have written in these books. And we find that he responds by asking for some time to to pray. His prayer was recorded from what he said that he prayed. But at the end of that prayer, he says, Though the world may be filled with devils, though my body, which is still the work of your hands, should be slain, be stretched upon the pavement, be cut in pieces, reduced to ashes, my soul is yours. Yes, I will have assurance in your word. My soul belongs to you. It shall abide forever with you. Amen. Oh God, help me. Amen. In the midst of this, it's just, my body might be slain. It may be stretched upon the pavement. It might be cut in pieces. It may be reduced to ashes, but it's yours. I'll have assurance in what? In your word. My assurance doesn't come from anything else, but it comes from your word. And so he's called upon to answer the questions. And here's his historic historic reply. He's asked to recant, and he says, Since your majesty and lordships ask for a plain answer, I will give you one without either horns or teeth, unless I am convicted by scriptures and by right, plain reason. For I trust neither in popes or councils, since they've often erred and contradicted themselves. Unless I'm thus convinced, I am bound by these texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I neither can nor will recant anything, since it is neither right nor safe to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. His response before everybody that is the most powerful people in the world is, unless I am convinced, I'm bound by these texts of the Bible, my conscience is captive to the Word of God, I neither can nor will recant anything since it's neither right nor safe to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. I can't do anything else. I will stand on this. And he did. He fled from that particular place as there was all kinds of commotion after his historic reply. And God used his stance to say, this is what the word of God says. Regardless of what popes and councils and others have said, this is what God says. And here I stand and I can do no other. And to us, brothers and sisters, this particular stance, the clarity of the gospel message matters more than anything else in this world. Coming from the Reformation, there were what is called the five solaces that come from that. Um, Solace meaning one or alone. 
The first one is sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone. And what that says is, is that the Reformation stood as a time in which they said scripture alone is our authority. It's not what I say up here. It's not what councils say. It's not what other books say. The only way that we could ever possibly know truth is what does Scripture say? By and large, if you go across Christianity today, they don't even think in these ways. There's no here I stand, I could do no other. There's more of why does it even matter? Let's just get along. Why does it matter? But it does matter. It matters because the gospel matters. There's a group in April of 1996 called the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals that wrote what is called the Cambridge Declaration and said, let's, let's come to a place where we say that we will regain adherence to these five solaces of the Reformation. And the first one under Sola Scriptura says this, we reaffirm the inerrant scripture to be the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin and is a standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. We deny that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience, that the Holy Spirit speaks independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible, or that personal spiritual experience can ever be a vehicle of revelation. It is only the Scripture which is our vehicle of revelation of how we know what it is that God says regarding who He is, regarding who we are, regarding how we can be saved, how we ought to live. It is found in the pages of Scripture. And that is why God's Word to us is precious, isn't it, brothers and sisters? This is our authority. This is what we ought to believe. Everything that is found written in the pages of Scripture In 2 Timothy 3.12, if you turn there with me, 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you have known what? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's Word is the source of all that we need to know for our all things to be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work it is what teaches us it is the perfect word of god we hold strong to the fact that not only is the bible the inspired word of almighty god not only is it god breathed but it is without error it is without error it is inerrant it is That which is exactly what God would have for us to know about who he is. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. We believe that it is 100% without error. The next solace is this. And remember this. When we say solace, it is alone. That is why that matters. It's scripture alone that is our authority. It is scripture alone. It's not like, well, I had this one experience and because of that, this is how I think. I don't care what your experience is. 
What does God say? You measure your experience as far as how it compares to God's word, because Scripture alone is our authority. The next solace is solus, solus Christus, meaning Christ alone. Cambridge Declaration says this, we reaffirm that our salvation is accomplished by the mediatorial work of the historical Christ alone. His sinless life and substitutionary atonement alone are sufficient for our justification and reconciliation to the Father. We deny that the gospel is preached if Christ's substitutionary work is not declared and faith in Christ and his work is not solicited. We believe that Christ alone is the means that we have for salvation. Romans 8.3, if you want to turn back there with me for a moment, Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do, now notice that, picture Martin Luther, doing everything that he possibly could to earn heaven, to earn favor with God, to be under the law, to, to, to pray hours a day, to fast, to read, to work. the law doing things himself for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh god did the law couldn't do it but god did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at verse 31. So what then shall we say to these things? What do we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that verse for someone like Martin Luther or for yourself. You're trying to earn salvation? Trying to earn heaven? The law couldn't do it. But God did. So what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? It goes on, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. If he gave us his son, Christ alone, won't he give you everything else? Is it that God says, okay, I'm going to give my only begotten son. He's going to die on the cross for you. He's going to take your sin upon himself. He's going to give you his righteousness. He became man and he suffered and he died. He became sin for you. The fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God came upon Christ on the cross and it's so good, but then it's not enough. You've got to do your stuff too, like your prayers and your fastings and all these things. But that, that, that's just, it's not what Scripture teaches. God doesn't say, hey, he, he did this and it was really good, but you've got to do all your stuff too. What God says is, if he gave you his son, won't he also give you everything? When Christ died on the cross, what did he say? It's finished. It's finished. You can't add to that. No amount of purgatory will ever be good enough to add to anything. It has been completed and done, fulfilled in the work of Christ upon the cross. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? 
It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who who could bring a charge against God's people? Who who could condemn? It's, it's, It's Christ who died. Christ died. He justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you could add alone. Alone. You don't take your Dixie cup and try to add to the Pacific Ocean. It's absurd. Christ has done it all. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul says, for I'm determined to know, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. Not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Philippians 3, 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. None. Our confidence is in Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may, maybe, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is, is, is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's him, it's Christ, and it's Christ alone. There is no other way to earn favor with God than Christ. Hebrews 10.10 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It was done. It was done. The next solace is sola gratia, which means by grace alone. Cambridge Declaration says this, We reaffirm that in salvation we are rescued from God's wrath by His grace alone. It is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to Christ by releasing us from our bondage to sin and raising us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We deny that salvation is in any sense a human work. Human methods, techniques, or strategies by themselves cannot accomplish this transformation. Faith is not produced by our unregenerated human nature. It is all by grace. You are here today as a believer, and it is all by grace. Do you get that? And it is by grace alone. It's not by God's grace, but you earn part of it. As soon as you start earning it, it is no longer grace. It is all by grace. When you're in heaven, trust me, you will not be in heaven being like, I did it. I knew I could do it. I'm just, I'm one of those focused people. You know, I knew when I set my mind to it, I could get it. I could get it. You're not, you, you, you will be there saying, 
All glory and all honor belongs to him. He did it. I did everything to not earn heaven. I earned everything to earn eternity in hell. But by grace, God did this. He worked in my heart. He drew me unto himself. He caused the gospel to come to me and for my heart and heart to be made a heart of flesh and for my blind eyes to be opened. God did it and it was all by grace. It wasn't because God said, man, I need you. I need, you're good. <laughs> You've got to be on my team. It's all grace. You didn't do anything. If you think you did, you did not. It is by grace alone. The next sola is sola fide, which is by faith alone. We reaffirm that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. In justification, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us as the only possible satisfaction of God's perfect justice. We deny that justification rests on any merit to be found in us or upon the grounds of any infusion of Christ's righteousness uh, or upon the grounds of an infusion of Christ's righteousness in us or that an institution claiming to be a church that denies or condemns sola fide can be recognized as a legitimate church. Romans 1, 16 and 17, that is what radically impacted Martin Luther, was, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. By faith. Not by works, but by faith. Luther said that this doctrine is the chief article from which all our other doctrines have flowed. He called it the master and prince, the Lord and the ruler and the judge over all kinds of doctrine. He said if the article of justification is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost at the same time. He argued saying it only begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. We must believe that you are saved by faith alone. Alone. Again, Romans 3, verse 20. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Go down with me to verse 28 of chapter 3 of Romans. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Meaning, you are justified by your faith in Christ apart from the prayers and the confessions and the, the readings and the work and all of these other things. You are saved by faith in Christ alone. It's not, have you done enough yet? The question is, is, is there genuine faith in Christ? Do you look upon the work of Christ upon the cross and say, when he died on that cross... I died with him. The punishment that I deserved for my sins, he took upon himself. The wrath that I deserved from God, he took upon himself. The righteousness which I could never attain, he did. He fulfilled all righteousness. So there's this great exchange that takes place. My sin goes upon him and his righteousness comes upon me in my hope is in the fact that Jesus is God. He came to this earth. 
He died on the cross that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. My hope that I will go to heaven is solely based in Christ and his work upon the cross and my faith in him. It's not based upon anything that I've ever done. It's not based upon anything that I could ever do. It's all based on the fact that Christ, Christ died for us and our faith is in him. You find there within that Romans 3 passage, it tells us in, in verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law the knowledge is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Apart from the law. Righteousness of God. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who what? Believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Through what? Through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude what? That man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You're justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That doesn't mean that you go and just live like the world. Because true and living, genuine faith, as James tells us, will produce works. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that he died for you, he rose again, All your sins were placed upon him and all his righteousness was placed upon you and he's given you the Holy Spirit and he has paid it all. He's done everything for you. You have a desire to live for him. If the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates you and and dwells you, there's a working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure to where you hate sin and you love righteousness and you're still going to fail and you're still going to fall short, but there's going to be a desire to obey him in your life. If you say... I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but you, you don't care at all what he thinks. You don't try at all to live for him. There's no passion for him, there's no love for him, there's no worship of him. You, you fit into that category of even the demons believe and they tremble. It's not a genuine faith. A genuine faith when he is your Lord and he's your Savior, there is a passion to live for him and to worship him. Notice what took place in the Reformation. Martin Luther, he wrote the song that we sang last. It wasn't like, well, here's the doctrines and let's just, you know, read these things. This is what we're going to believe. No, they sang about the doctrines. They sang songs about the doctrines. They got together and said, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. You can't penetrate him. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving? Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Christ alone. 
Lord Sabbath is his name. From age to age, the same. He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Can you imagine saints 500 years ago singing this song? And they meant it. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but his truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Their confidence was not in we did it. Their confidence was in Scripture alone as their authority. Christ alone. By grace alone. Through faith alone. And lastly, to the glory of God alone. Sola Deo Gloria. We reaffirm that because salvation is of God and has been accomplished by God, it is for God's glory and that we must glorify Him always. We must live our entire lives before the face of God, under the authority of God, and for His glory alone. We deny that we can properly glorify God if our worship is confused with entertainment, if we neglect either law or gospel in our preaching, or if self-improvement, self-esteem, or self-fulfillment are allowed to become alternatives to the gospel. We, brothers and sisters... We glorify him alone for our salvation, alone. He gets all the glory, all of it, all of it. He gets all the glory for the fact that you will not spend eternity in hell. It is all due to him, all of it. We give him all the glory for our church. We give him all the glory for our camp. We give all the glo- him all the glory for any fruit that could possibly come through our lives for the Hallelujah Harvest Festival for <laughs> May we never be a church that looks and says, we have this church and we're doing this Harvest Festival and we're doing these mission trips and we have this camp. Look how awesome our church is. We have nothing. Look how awesome our God is. He gets all the glory. All of it. That we think like that. Martin Luther died early in the morning on February 18th of 1546. You want to know what his final words were? The last words that come out of Martin Luther's mouth on his deathbed were this. We are beggars. This is true. And he died. We're beggars. Got nothing. Have you ever seen a beggar with his hands out like this with a couple hundred dollars in it? Never happens, right? Beggars are there and they're empty handed, right? Got nothing. Hands are empty. My, My hands are empty. When I go before God, my hands are empty. 
your hands will be empty. It'll all be because of Christ alone. By grace alone. Through faith alone. To the glory of God alone. We are beggars. This is true. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this great salvation in which you've saved us. Lord, we recognize that there may be people here in this sanctuary and they are just trying so hard to earn favor with you. Or maybe this is the first time that they've ever heard the gospel. That we are saved from our sins, not based upon the law, not based upon our works, but based upon the work of Christ upon the cross and faith in him. May the sweetness of your Holy Spirit call them to salvation on this morning. Bring them unto you. Make their sin apparent to them and cause them to say, I am a beggar in desperate need of a Savior. And may they run into the arms of the one who alone can save. And may they find rest for their souls. For us as believers, like the Reformers, may we have this theology turn into doxology to where it comes forth in praise. I pray that the walls within this church will have never heard such praise as this morning when we think of how it is that you have saved us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for our salvation, and we give you all the glory. We thank you for your word that teaches us all of these things so that we can know these things with absolute assurance. Be glorified, Lord, through our hearts and through our praises and through our lives this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.